You're listening to a podcast from the Australian Government Department of Human Services. Hi, and welcome to the Human Services Podcast. I'm Hank Jongen, and today we're talking about homelessness. Did you know over 100,000 people in Australia are experiencing homelessness? 60% of these people are under the age of 35, and 13% are under the age of 12. I'll be catching up with our Acting Secretary, Grant Tidswell. He's taking part in this year's St Vincent de Paul CEO Sleepout. But first, I'd like to introduce you to Pontip Sapanya, who is a Community Engagement Officer with the Department, and she provides direct support to those who find themselves homeless. Hi, Pontip, and thank you for joining us. Thank you, Hank. So your role is very much an interventionist one and steering people to appropriate services and support, is that right? Correct, yes. So we link people up with community services as well as our own departmental services. In my introduction, uh, I talked about 100,000 people in Australia experiencing homelessness at any one time. These are pretty startling figures, and I don't think most people appreciate the extent to which homelessness permeates our society. Do you think that's a fair comment for me to make? Is it sort of a hidden condition? Hidden homelessness is quite high. We do see a lot of people that come in and don't present as homeless. They're quite well-looking. They can manage their own business. It's when we ask a few triggering questions that we identify that they are homeless. So you may have someone who's couch surfing, for example, and they don't regard themselves as homeless. Is that what you're saying? That's right. People that are couch surfing uh, because they do have, they consider themselves to have a roof over their head, as well as people who live in their cars. I once had a gentleman that approached me at the out services that I worked at. He wanted to change his address. And it was only once I got into some conversation with him and I asked for a new address, did he say he didn't have an address to me? And he looked down and he was quite embarrassed. It was quite alarming when he showed me a driver's licence. The picture in that licence I saw was a man that was well-groomed, clean-shaven, collared shirt. But the man that was sitting in front of me was very frail-looking. He had a long beard, his hair was overdue for a cut, and his clothes looked like they were about to fall off him. So I approached with a few questions and at that point that's when he identified and said to me that he was sleeping in his car. I asked him if he would like me to help him get some temporary accommodation. He said, no, no, I'm not homeless. I have somewhere to stay. It's my car. There are people worse off than me. I'd rather you go and help them. So we can't push that. We have to respect what their wishes are. All I said was, okay, my name is Pontip. I told him where I worked and how he could find me if he ever needed help. I talked about how important early intervention was to prevent chronic homelessness and I left it at that. The following day, he came in and asked for me and asked for some help. So that allowed him the time to make his own decision overnight Mm. about whether or not he needed that help. Once he put his hand up to ask for help, that's when we were able to help him. It took a little while. We got him into some temporary accommodation, but to this day now... He's now employed and he's a manager of a cleaning company. What do you think contributed to his homelessness in the first place? He had been terminated from his job. He had some savings and he thought he would be able to find another job quick enough so that he wouldn't fall behind. He eventually fell short in his mortgage and that's when he was evicted. One of the important things that you probably need to establish very quickly is trust. The ability to 
build that trust with someone who's vulnerable, someone who's defensive, scared, may not even totally acknowledge that they're homeless, for example. How do you go about establishing that trust? It's a very challenging job to build that trust. It just feels like there's so many barriers you need to break down because for any human being, for any person, trust is a big thing. And for these people that are vulnerable, there has been a breakdown of trust somewhere along the line in their past. So it takes a lot of convincing, but eventually it does work in most cases. We do eventually build that trust because we show them respect. Do you see many people uh, living on the streets because of mental illness? I'd imagine that's a really tough situation if you, you know, think about the medical, social and financial implications. Having worked in the community engagement space for quite some time, it is evident. And I'm no doctor, but some end up in hospitals because they become a risk to themselves or to community. And that's another avenue of how we get in touch with these people who are homeless through the social workers of psychiatric units or mental health units. In my introduction, I also said that 13% of homeless people are under the age of 12. That's quite an alarming figure. And what's your role in relation to those sorts of cases? Because they are considered minors, we generally don't have a great deal to do with that, the under 12s. So if you came across an instance like that, of course, your role would be to ensure appropriate connection. Definitely, yeah. We would talk to our social work services who may liaise with family and community services and any other services that need to be involved in that situation. And with young people, is it largely an issue of domestic violence or what are the sort of contributing causes for young people? It is a lot of the family and domestic violence, as you mentioned, Hank, and sometimes it's just... A communication breakdown as well, a relationship breakdown with the family. There's also been a really large national response to the issue of domestic violence. Has that national response to tackle this terrible issue really triggered changes in your day-to-day work at all? I believe it has. The community engagement officers have noticed an increase in family and domestic violence-related incidents. Is that increased reporting or...? Identifying. Yeah, yeah. Identifying. Is the primary issue here one of homelessness or is it also connecting them with payments? Uh, for example, I, I could imagine a scenario where a woman quite suddenly finds herself out on the street with dependent children and simply not knowing where to go. Do we become the first port of call because of the the financial aspects? Yes, we do. Department of Human Service is considered a first-to-know agency, Hank. And what I mean by this is people often present to our department because they're in a crisis situation and they're in need of some financial support. The complementary services we have, such as community engagement officers, Indigenous services officers, social work services, multicultural officers, they're all fantastic services because these specialists have relationships with community providers where we can provide effective linkages with other services. So I guess your advice is, um, you know, you don't necessarily have to come to human services as your number one access point. Any of those services should be interconnected to ensure that you get an attempt to resolve the issues that you're confronted with. Is that the case? Or would your advice be come to human services first? Oh, we go to any service because where there's a service that will help a vulnerable person, 
we would have a relationship with that person or that organisation. Not all of your work is in the office, is it? A lot of it involves you having to go out of the office and deliver services. Do you want to talk a bit about that? Yes. So we we are on the road quite often and, and some people say our office is our car because we're just on the go all the time. Wherever there's a vulnerable person, we can be there. Pontip, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. It was really good to speak to Pontip and get her perspective on the lesser known services provided by the department. It's a great insight into direct action and it's something we're all proud of. Whilst on the subject of direct action, I'd like to introduce Grant Tidswell. He's the Acting Secretary of the Department. Welcome, Grant. Thanks, Hank. Great to be here. We're talking about some Vinnie's CEO sleepout that you're participating in. How are you getting involved this year? Well, look, uh, you know, we've set ourselves a target. We're aiming for 20,000. I'd like to go well past that. I happen to have the opportunity being the Acting Secretary uh, across the department with 34,000 people. I hope everybody can at least contribute a dollar. So uh, whilst we've set our target at 20,000, I'm very keen to move beyond and above that. I'm getting involved preparing myself. I have to search for some thermals, I think, and I don't really have a sleeping bag that uh, I suspect will be able to uh, do much good in the uh, colds of Canberra. It's getting cold in Canberra. We've had some minuses and, you know, when it generally gets cold in Canberra, it's pretty bone-jarringly cold. You're Commitment to uh, this particular issue, is it driven by your experience within the department? Look, Hank, I've, I've spent my working career in the social welfare sphere and I have a strong commitment to uh, helping people in times of need and distress. I think our staff do an outstanding job uh, right across Australia, helping Australians every single day. And we do touch the lives of people who are experiencing homelessness or are at the risk of homelessness. It's one of the things we can really, in a tangible sense, help people get payments and uh, and hopefully assist them also uh, to get a roof over their head. Back in 2010, you were awarded in the Queen's Birthday Honours List for Outstanding Public Service in leading then Centrelink's response in the Victorian bushfires. And that saw 2,500 homes destroyed, I recall it well. Did that experience change your perception of homelessness? Look, Hank, it was it was a, a salutary experience. Not only the uh, obviously the unbelievable property losses, but also the the great tragic loss of life. And uh, so, at first hand, uh, I was there a few days after the event in the field with the then Prime Minister. So I got a chance to see you know the disaster at close quarters and to to get a sense of what people were going through when they'd lost everything. To see uh, families and individuals completely destroyed by the event and also where they lost loved ones was a very powerful experience to me and gave me a sense of just how important it is to have your own house, your own belongings, your own family around you. We were talking earlier to Pontip, who works directly in this field. From where you sit at the present time, do you see that the department's involvement and interaction in relation to homelessness is a a major part of our business? Absolutely, Hank. It's a a really important thing that we can do. We've got our specialist staff that do work in the field with organisations like St Vincent's de Paul, an outstanding organisation, and we work with all variety of stakeholders. Our approach is really to try and get the service system connected to individuals. We can obviously help to get their payments to them, 
but you know we need to do the sort of outsourcing work to uh, enable the connections to occur. Now I get the chance to travel, travel Australia. I was in Coffs Harbour last week. I met our community engagement officer in Coffs Harbour. You'd think sometimes that, uh, boy, uh, Coffs Harbour, nice part of the world, isn't everybody on the beach and having a good life? Well, there's always people right across Australia that struggle getting a roof over their head for a whole lot of reasons. And uh, I'm really proud of the work our staff can do to help and assist. Well, Grant, you've got a big night ahead of you. What are you expecting? Well, really, I'm hopeful that I'll get some tips from those who've done it before. Uh, Catherine Campbell's done this now five years in a row, and I'm filling in for her this year. Um, She's given me some tips. I also hope that I get the chance to talk to staff and volunteers from St Vincent's de Paul to give me a better sense of understanding. It's always easy for me in my job to be a bit distant uh, from the coalface. Uh, So it'd be great for me to get that chance to talk to people who really do work hard on this topic, often long hours, often on low pay, and they're there to to make a difference. And what can people do to donate towards St Vinnie's Grant? Well, it's very easy. In this digital world, you've just got to go to St Vinnie's Sleepout, click on the the CEO, and you'll go to Canberra, and you'll see a a mugshot of me there. Well, Grant, you've obviously got a long night ahead of you uh, on the night. I'd like to wish you the very best of luck, and thank you for coming in. Thank you very much, Hank. For more information about the support the department provides for those who are or at risk of becoming homeless, you can find out more on our website, humanservices.gov.au. And I'd also like to remind you, if you're in crisis and you need support, you can contact Lifeline on 131114, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to a podcast from the Australian Government Department of Human Services. For more information, go to humanservices.gov.au.